everyone. Thanks for checking out this podcast. I hope today's conversation inspires you and builds your faith for the moment you are in right now. Know that God's love for you truly changes everything. Enjoy the message. Have you ever heard of a midlife crisis? Are you, are you married to a midlife crisis right now, some of you? Do uh, you know what a midlife crisis is, yes? It's where a guy loses his hair and buys a Corvette. Right? I, 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 I've already lost the hair, and I'm open to Corvettes, just if anybody's wondering. I'm open. Uh, and, but yet, psychologists and therapists today are diagnosing something beyond a, a midlife crisis, but earlier than that, that they are calling a quarter-life crisis. With 25-year-olds and, 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 and 20-somethings, A quarter-life crisis is a very real phenomenon where people graduate from university and get out into the real world, and their whole lives, you know, teachers and parents have have told us, you can do whatever you set your mind to, you know, you're amazing, if you believe it, you can achieve it. And we get out of university and we get out into the real world, and our friends move away, And we didn't end up getting the job that we hoped that we would have. We're not making the money we thought we would make. Our life is not like the Hallmark movie we watch in December. And we never went and stayed in a little inn in a small town and met a a handyman who's really handsome and drives a 1980s Ford pickup truck who who used to be a stockbroker in New York City, but now has found the meaning of life. It never turned out that way, right? And so for for many of us growing up, our expectations were way up here, but reality has turned out way down down here. And it's not just 20-somethings, right? Many of us can relate to the disappointment of life. And if that's where you are today, I'm so glad you're with us because we have an amazing story in Scripture today that I think might be just for you. So if you want to go ahead and get a Bible, if you brought one, you can uh, find Matthew chapter 2. You can look it up on your phone or device as well. Uh, We will have it on the screen. But today we're going to look at the Christmas story through the eyes of the Magi, otherwise known as the wise men, not to be confused with the three stooges. Yeah, wise guy, eh? Yeah, I just did that. Uh, and and today, uh, today we're going to look at their story, a story that maybe some of you, if you've been in church for, for many years, have heard a hundred times before. In fact, last, last Sunday, Pastor Jeremy actually touched on it uh, when he taught on the story of King Herod. And today what we're going to do is, is try to take off our shoes for just a minute and try to walk in their sandals to see it from their perspective. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who was born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. 
In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. So now, who were these magi? Well, many of you are familiar with the old Christmas song. Maybe, maybe you've sung it before. We three kings of Orient are. And, and, and there's a, there are a couple of problems with that song. First of all, the first problem is that the Bible does not say there were three of them. Now, why do we think that? Uh, and why does the song say that? Well, because there were three gifts. But all we know from Scripture is that there was more than one. So there might have been two, there might have been 20, we don't know. The second problem with the song is that the Bible never says they were kings. The Bible refers to them as magi or wise men, and a magi in that culture was more like an advisor to a king. Magi were these educated men who, who, studied, who studied the skies and the stars, who studied philosophy and math and, and agriculture and science and, and all of the knowledge of the day. And what's really amazing, when, when, you, when you look at the Old Testament, many people have not noticed that the Magi, the order of the Magi, actually shows up in the Old Testament. In, in the Old Testament book of Daniel, this is so cool, 600 years before Jesus, Daniel was a prisoner in Babylon. Now, where is Babylon? Babylon later became known as Persia. You've heard the Prince of Persia. And today, the area of Babylon, where the capital was, is in modern-day Iraq, right near Iran. And, And so, back then, the king of Babylon was named Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar started having these strange dreams, and he wanted to know what they were about. And so he called together his wise men, his magi, and, and, and ordered that they interpret his dream, but they could not. And so he calls in Daniel, a man after God's own heart, and Daniel prays to the Lord, and God gives him revelation to interpret the dream. And so King Nebuchadnezzar says, Daniel, you are a whole lot smarter than all these other wise guys. And so he puts him in charge of the Magi. Daniel becomes the chief Magi in Babylon. And when you read the prophecies of Daniel's, of Daniel, 600 years before Jesus. This is so cool. Don't, don't, don't miss this. What did Daniel prophesy? 600 years prior to Jesus, Daniel prophesied of a Messiah who would come, who he called the Anointed One. And so his successors, known as Magi, for 600 years they have been studying 
these things, the prophecies of a Messiah that have been handed down. And so all of a sudden, when this, this star appears in the sky that seems to be pointing in a certain direction, these brilliant magi, consultants and, and advisors to the great leaders of the world, organize a caravan of camels to travel through the desert. And so I, I will put it on the screen here. I looked it up on Google Maps, uh, just like any person would have done 2,000 years ago. Figured out the exact route to walk through the desert, uh, assuming that maybe, we don't know for sure, but maybe they might have started in the area around ancient, the city of Babylon. Uh, you can see they're marked on the map. It's uh, in the area of Halal in Iraq today, just south of Baghdad. And as they would have traveled through the deserts from near Iran and through modern-day Iraq and through Syria and Jordan and eventually to Jerusalem and finally to the little town of Bethlehem, this trip would have taken months. And, and it would have been incredibly expensive. It, it cost a fortune gathering all of the servants and preparing for the journey and traveling through the desert day after day, night after night, setting up camp and feeding the camels, and feeding all the people in the caravan. And then the next morning, having to, to pick up camp again and, and make whatever progress they could throughout the day, worrying about safety from robbers and bandits who might attack. Day after day, night after night, the sand, the heat, the exhaustion, the saddle sore. I mean, just understand, this was not some fly-by-night journey. It's not like they were sitting around one Friday afternoon and decided, hey guys, we've got nothing going on this weekend, road trip. No, this was a huge undertaking. This, this was extremely expensive. And so why did they do it? That's a good question. Why, why did they do this? And it begins to make sense when you recognize that these educated magi who had been studying history and philosophy and ancient writings, that these guys were not the only ones. You see, when you, when you know old history, especially in the days of the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago, you begin to recognize that there was this widely accepted belief that within their generation, there would be a king who would rise up, who would become ruler over the entire world. Don't take my word for it. You can go and study history for yourself. Let me, let me just show you a couple of quotes from ancient writings. These are not new historians from today. This was actually things, these are quotes from 2,000 years ago. The Roman leader, Sertonius, who, who operated in the first century, said that there had spread over all the Orient, Orient an old and established belief that it was fated for men coming from Judea to rule the world. In the first century, Tacitus wrote, there was a firm persuasion that at this very time, the East was to grow powerful and rulers coming from Judea were to acquire universal empire. Isn't this amazing? And again, in the first century, Josephus wrote that Jews had a belief about that time, one from their country should become governor over the entire earth. 
Scholar William Barclay says, we find Tiridates, king of Armenia, visiting Nero at Rome with his magi along with him. We find the magi in Athens sacrificing to the memory of Plato. Almost at the same time as Jesus was born, we find Augustus, the Roman emperor, being hailed as the savior of the world, and Virgin Uh, Virgil, the Roman prophet, writing his fourth eclogue, which is known as the Messianic eclogue, about the golden days to come. And so are you seeing it, that around the world in this generation, there was the expectation of a coming of a king who would bring about a new world order. And these, these magi had every reason to suspect that they were about to intersect with one of the greatest moments in human history. They believed that perhaps they were about to meet the greatest leader the world would ever know. And so what happens next? If you know the rest of the story, you know that it maybe didn't turn out the way they expected. Tim Elmore gives a couple of points here I want to share with you. He says, number one, they followed a star but ended up in a stable. We don't know how long after the birth of Jesus the Magi arrived. You know, it's possible. We don't know the exact timeline. The Bible doesn't tell us. It's possible that they left months before Jesus was born, and maybe as they traveled, they arrived just after, and maybe it was like our little nativity scenes that we set up with the the shepherds and the wise men and, and the animals all around. Or maybe they didn't arrive Uh, until later when Jesus was maybe a few months old or maybe even a few years old. We don't know, but here's what we do know. Number two, it's likely they expected prestige, but instead they found poverty. These guys are used to being with kings and queens, with riches and, and palaces, and instead they find a poor working class family. And number three, they looked for a leader, but they found a child with a teenage mother who got pregnant before she was married, and her new husband, Joe, was a blue-collar construction worker. Now, I might be wrong. The scripture doesn't really tell us specifically, but if you look at it through their eyes, I mean, if you were to try to put on their sandals for just a minute, Don't you think they would be disappointed? And they brought gifts too. The Bible tells us that they brought gifts of of gold and frankincense and myrrh. These are not things you bring to a baby shower, right? These are gifts for a king. Wouldn't you be disappointed if you followed a star and instead of a palace, you found a stable? If instead of prestige, you found poverty? And then all of a sudden you wondered, maybe this kind of sounds like our lives, right? You know, so often we have these hopes and dreams and expectations of what life will be. When I get into that school, it is going to be so good when I finally make it. When I, when I finally get that job, things are, are just going to be perfect. I'm going to make a difference. When I finally am able to start my business... 
When I finally have the perfect house and the perfect car and the perfect family and the, and the perfect kids and the perfect church and, and, I, and I'm going to have all these wonderful friends and go on fantastic vacations and we're going to be so happy and have a wonderful life and yet maybe like the Magi, you have spent your life pursuing a star and so far all it has led to again and again and again is a dirty stable. And we live our lives in the disappointment of these shattered expectations because life usually is not exactly what we hoped it would be. And so here's what happens next for the Magi. We're still in Matthew chapter 2. They're leaving the court of King Herod in Jerusalem on their way to Bethlehem. Matthew 2 verse 9 says, After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. I love this. See, look, they came looking for a powerful king, but instead they found the humble presence of God. And they bowed down and worshipped him. In other words, Jesus was probably not at all what they expected, but he was more than they had hoped for. And they bowed down and worshipped him. And listen, here's where we so often get disappointed with life. And especially, I, I see so many Christians who come to this point of, of disappointment because, frankly, I think that sometimes Christians and our desire to communicate the goodness of God have, have often gov, given a wrong impression about what God's plan really is for us. And so let, let, let me be borderline harsh for just a minute. God does not care. Just a sec. Listen. God is not interested in meeting your expectations. Oh, oh, oh. This, this, you're like, Joel, Joel, just, just a second. I thought this was a positive, encouraging place where we teach the word of God and how, how the Lord has a wonderful plan for your life. And, and he is a good God. And he does want good things for us. But our definition is so often so self-focused. And we, we expect that God will do things our way to, to, to help us fulfill our dreams rather than recognizing that we do not invite God into our plans. He invites us into his. <laughs> And we expect, you know, what the perfect family will look like, what our perfect kids will look like, what the perfect church will look like, what our perfect job will look like. And the world paints for us this picture of what we are going to find at the end of the rainbow. And yet when we get to the end of the rainbow, what God really wants for us to find is just Him. And that is the gift of Christmas. See, the, 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 the wise men brought 
gifts to Jesus and discovered that Jesus was actually God's gift to them. Not what they expected, but better than they had hoped for. Instead of a flashy king, they found a humble savior. Instead of riches and wealth, they found joy and peace. Instead of a power-hungry Messiah who would raise up an army, that's what people wanted. They wanted a political leader in their world who would fight their battles for them and make their lives comfortable and safe. And isn't that what we still want today? And yet instead what they found is the greatest gift the world has ever known, the Son of God who came to rescue us from our our own selfishness and deliver us from sin and give us his life. See, what they found was the presence of God. And the presence of God is seldom what we expect, but it is exactly what we need. Because when my job fails me, that's when I discover that maybe my God is enough. When my family fails me, that's when I discover that God is enough. When my car breaks down and my best friend turns their back on me, God is still enough for me. When the economy fails me, God is enough. When the government fails me, God is enough. When my expectations are not met and my dreams are shattered, God is still enough for me because God may not give me what I expect, but he always knows just what I need and he is enough for me. Amen. Amen. There was a, a medical doctor from America who felt like God was calling him to be a missionary. He felt a very specific calling from God on his life to go to Africa, and in particular to a, a specific part of East Africa, to a village far off the beaten path where people had never heard of Jesus. This was many years ago. And so he started to get ready, and he made all the preparations. Now, he was already a medical doctor, but he went and got three doctorates because on top of that, he went to seminary to prepare and got a theology doctorate and a Bible doctorate so that he could have all the answers. And he moved his family to East Africa along with his extensive library, with every book you could imagine, with every answer to every theological question. And he worked with missions groups and church planting consultants because the dream was to do more than, than to just start one church, but that that church would begin a church planting movement across the region, bringing many people to the saving hope of Jesus. He had it all figured out. But imagine his disappointment when at the end of that first year, they had reached exactly zero people. Not one person came to his church. He, he thought he had done everything right according to the plan, but every week they opened the church and there was nobody, just the missionary and his family. And then it got worse. After the first year, his 12-year-old son died. His son got sick and they couldn't get him to the big city in time. And his son died and it felt like all of his expectations were dashed and he wondered, God, what are you doing? And so devastated, he hired one of the village men to help him bury his son. And so they made together a pine box 
And the missionary and the village man put his son in the box and carried the pine box up the hill. Just outside of the village. And they buried a hole six feet deep. And just as they were getting ready to bury that pine box, the missionary asked for just a minute. So the village man stopped and watched as he bent down over the pine box and all of a sudden this missionary with three doctorates and all the answers poured out his grief and his agony and his disappointment and his broken expectations and wondered if God had failed him. And meanwhile, the village man stood to the side and watched as this whole sequence took place. And after a few minutes of watching, eventually, the man turned around and ran back down the hill to the village. And he began to knock on all the doors and answered the question that many of his neighbors had been wondering about. Door after door in his village, he told his neighbors, the Jesus man, the Jesus man, he cries just like we do. And something about that tragedy opened up the hearts of the people. And apparently the very next Sunday, people came. And the next Sunday, more people came and, and, and many came to Jesus and he began to learn what we so often have to learn in our lives, that you can have all the answers, but your answers are seldom enough when reality hits. You can have all your plans, but your plans are seldom enough. It's usually when God does not do what you expect in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our disappointment, in the midst of our shattered expectations, so often that is when God shows up and surprises us in unexpected ways. And we realize that as we were walking through the darkness, He was there all along. Would you stand with me? Our Heavenly Father, today we recognize ourselves in so many ways in this story. The world has sold us a dream of what life is supposed to be about. And yet the Magi show us that it is often when our dreams fall short that we begin to see who you really are and what you really want for our lives. And so Lord, I, I pray for everyone here with us today, those in the room and those who are with us online. Lord, recognizing that for many of us right now, Things are not like we thought they were going to be. 
For many, perhaps, a marriage has fallen apart. Maybe a child has made bad decisions and ended up in a bad place. Somebody we love has turned their back on us. Maybe we thought that you put a dream in our hearts and it seems like things aren't turning out the way that we expected. Lord, I recognize in my life, leading in the midst of these crazy circumstances, it's not what I expected. But Lord, we come to you in the name and the authority of Jesus and we call out to you, Lord, in our desperation. Just right now, wherever you are, would you just cry out to him in your heart? Call to him. He is here. He is listening to you. As we confess to you, Lord, we confess that we have made life about us and what we want rather than recognizing that fundamentally it is about you and what you want for our lives. And so we surrender ourselves to you. For anybody who's following Jesus, maybe has been following Jesus for, for many, many years, and today we need to just submit and surrender and turn our face back to you, Lord, to turn our hearts to you, to turn our hands to you, to turn our priorities back to you again, Lord. And maybe there are those who, who have never made the decision to follow Jesus. Maybe today is a day of salvation as we recognize that that is the reason that Jesus came. And right now, if that's you, wherever you are right now in your life, if, if you're ready to submit to Jesus, what you have to do is confess your sin right now in your heart. Confess, Lord, I've, I thought life was about me. And I recognize that I've made bad choices. I've been selfish and sinful. Just confess it to him now. And then declare, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me to pay the price for my sins so that I can be forgiven. He died in my place and took the punishment that I deserve so that I can receive new life. And right now, I receive you I ask you to come in and take control of everything within me. Lord, I surrender to you in the name of Jesus. And Lord, right now, for anybody who has prayed that prayer, Lord, that you would seal it in their hearts. That this is more than just a momentary decision. This is a lifetime of following after Jesus. And today marks the beginning of that journey for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about Moncton Wesleyan, we invite you to visit our website at mw.church. We are here to help you with any questions you might have. See you next time.